Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, it's that time of year again. We're getting all spoopy up in here. We've got, and I'm bringing back the Halloween spooptacular. But before then, we've got reviews for all three Johnny English movies. The Tom Clancy wannabe Hunter Killer, the latest Christploitation movie, Indivisible, plus Jonah Hill's directorial debut, Mid 90s. Let's get started. Can I just ask, what is wrong with you? Ow. Did you or did you not burn the Cote du Roc restaurant to the ground? Um. And did you fire a missile at a peloton of French cyclists? Well. Before commandeering an open top bus and tossing the tour guide off the top deck? Johnny English is one of those series that I've managed to avoid until doing this podcast and needing to revisit all of them in the lead up to the newest one. And quite honestly, I would have preferred not having to do that. Like, nothing against the movie itself, it's just there's better out there. That that's kind of the that's kind of the main takeaway I have for this series. Uh Apparently, it's based on a banking commercial. I learned that in the, uh, you know, commercial, movies based on commercial and advertising episode. Is that Johnny English was based on some sort of British bank commercial where Rowan Atkinson was a, like, I guess, a bad spy, but he uses the bank's services to, I don't know. I forget what the, I have no idea. If somebody in the UK knows what this whole thing is about. Maybe they can clue me in, but I honestly didn't care enough to even look up the ad campaigns for it. Uh, suffice to say that, yeah, this is, this is very basic spy level, you know, very basic level spy parody. You've got the bumbling protagonist who thinks he's James Bond, but he's clearly just a buffoon and he manages to surreptitiously save the day um, despite himself. And that's kind of the main through line for all of this. And Atkinson's a very funny comedian. Like, even going back to Black Adder, the dude is can be hilarious. And it's just a matter of the fact that, you know, I think he's... I think he's able to do more with, like, Mr. Bean because there it's, it's, it's like a silent film character. He's voiceless. It's all mannerisms. Whereas here, he's... He's basically like a not as funny Mr. Bean who also who also thinks he's James Bond and it's it's a tired joke like that's the thing Austin Powers was like you know was kind of a fool but he was a competent spy and even even in like other spy comedies the spy in question may be maybe kind of silly or, or frantic or, you know, kind of, you know, not, not the best at their job, but they're, you know, they're still charismatic personalities. Like Leslie Nielsen in Spy Hard is basically Leslie Nielsen from The Naked Gun just as a spy. And Awesome Powers is this, you know, very, par very like parody take on the 60s mod, um, what is it called? Uh, mod, I guess mod sort of style and taking that to to an outrageous extent and now he's and how he's like a some sort form of sex symbol and it's played up for a joke but the character itself is very competent very competent 
Whereas here, the joke is, oh, he's a buffoon, but he still manages to save the day. And that's not a very fun. It's not a very funny character. I'll just say that Johnny English is a is a bad character. I think. I think he's part of him is just remnants of Mister Bean, and the rest is this is this kind of. Like, that's the thing. It's the arrogance that gets me. Like, yeah, I totally meant to do that. It's just, it's not that funny. It's not a funny joke. It's, it's, that kind of thing is something that you see people who have, or, uh, I, I, I just see plenty of incompetent people pu- try to pull that. And, and it is never, it's, it's so obvious. That it, and yet people just put up with him. I don't get the appeal. I do not get the appeal of Johnny English to say that there that he needed three movies. Yeah, that's an overstatement. So yeah, I watched the first one, and the only real takeaway is John Malkovich trying to do a French accent. I will not comment on whether or not he is any form of accurate, but at least he was memorable. Otherwise, it's completely it completely repeats every single joke, and there's this whole extended poop sequence. That doesn't that doesn't really do anything. It's just hey, poop poop's funny, and yeah, it's it, it's 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 the kind of bad that you get when you try to extend a one to two minute character into ninety minutes. It is it doesn't work well. Moving on to Johnny English Reborn, uh, there are some improvements. I think the supporting cast is a, a major improvement. You've got you know up-and-comers like Rosamund Pike, who is kind of all, just fresh off of Die Another Day, but would has come into her own thanks to Gone Girl. And, of course, future Get Out star Daniel Kaluuya is his new, like, sidekick character, and he's he's a shining star in this whole thing. You can tell that there's great things ahead for Kaluuya, because he's just, he's already got that kind of charisma going on. And, you know, same, a lot of the same problems with the last movie in terms of its comedy. Like, the movie opens in a really tasteless uh, Tibetan monastery setting where the joke is, oh, they all do, you know, kick each other in the balls to make themselves tougher. And then that kind of leads into the climax in a really stupid way. So there's this real emphasis on balls, this time instead of poop. And, yeah, it's very, it, it's not very good. So, it, it it does improve in some areas. I think Atkinson is way less cloying than he was in the first movie, which is an improvement. Because I think they kind of hum, uh, humbled him. By humbling him, they made him a much more bearable character. And I think Reborn is the is the highlight of the franchise. I think that's the best that they've got. And unfortunately, the best that they've got is still middle, middling spy comedy. It's not. It's still not very good. I mean, yeah, Gillian Anderson is the head of their depart head of their spy division, MI7. Perfect. I love her. She's great in this. So yeah. And of course the jokes that they continually repeat are just not very funny. Like the whole beating up the old lady because it was a confusion. Oh no, it's it's very sitcom. And I think that's the problem, is that it's very TV level humor, but this is the big screen. You you've got to try harder than that. And then of course, which that leads us into the newest one. Um, I believe it was like 2003, 2011, and then now. So it's like, takes almost a decade for one of these to come out each time. And there's no reason. It doesn't matter. Like, why do we keep going back to this well? It's not a very, the water's tainted. Don't go back to this well. It's not very good water. And here, here, it's a complete step backward from all of the improvements made 
by the last movie. All of the you know, like obviously Kaluuya and Rosamund Pike can't come back because they're busy doing stuff. But in their stead, we've got Emma Thompson slumming it as the prime minister, who's kind of like a, I guess a parody of um, what's her name, um, Theresa May, uh, essentially, and. The villain is a Google-esque Mark Zuckerberg sort of tech uh, Silicon Valley billionaire who's out to take over the world because... Like, that's the thing. John Malkovich had this whole backstory of he has the rightful heir to the king of, to the throne of England. So he had that go... And then the second movie had a sort of double agent who's back... Who, who's back... He was stabbing... Who's backstabbing the um, the agency at, uh, for out of revenge or something like that? Or he, you know, he uh, uh, no, he was a part of a secret cabal of uh, master assassins. So that made sense. Here, there's no real reason for the like uh, other than the fact that oh, he's a billi- tech billionaire, so he's obviously evil and he wants to take over the world. Like, there's no real reason for him to take. Like, he he tries to guise it under the idea of humanitarian. Aid like he's 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 modernizing the outmoded outdated governmental systems, doing what they can't. But it's all but like his motivate his motivations don't make any sense. Why does he want to take over the world? Is it some like is it is it is it a sort of thing where it's like no, I can do this better? Is it like a narcissistic thing? Like I, I guess that's what they're going for, but it's not very well defined. It's very lazy because you know what. We've already had this done better in frickin' Kingsman. Kingsman handled this sort of tech, evil tech genius way better than... And he, he, both Kingsmans, actually. Even the... Even the, um... Oh, why can't I remember her name? I love her. Uh, what's... Julie... something. Um... Is it... No, Julianne... Moore. That... For some, my brain's... Uh, all over the place today. Julianne Moore in Kingsman 2 was still a better villain than this. Like, she wasn't as good as um, Samuel Jackson in the first Kingsman, but she was a way better villain. Like, she at least had style, a panache, a a certain personality to her. This guy is basically like, wanna be Taron Killam or wanna be Jason Sudeikis. I have no idea who this actor is. I He just looks like... The stunt double for Jason Sudeikis. Like, we're just waiting for the actual comedian to come in and do the funny parts. Because he's not very good. And then Olga... Poor Olga... Olga... Olga Kurilenko. 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 Olga Kurilenko. I think I got it. Uh, basically, the girl from uh, Quantum of Solace. The Bond girl from Quantum of Solace. And the... Um, female love interest from Hitman. She's basically kind of been re- resolved to be- show up and crap like this because sadly she hasn't been able. To, like she's a beautiful, beautiful woman. Like probably one, of, probably a great actress. Not not a great act- a great model. Not like the headmistress in Vampire Academy. I think she was. Uh, I, I forget who she was in Oblivion, but just, like that's kind of her best gig so far but other than that um the man who apparently she's in the man who killed don quixote is that the is that the terry kill wait is that out yet apparently it's out already that's weird huh it must not be it must have been on the um the um film circuit the film festival circuit because 
yeah, I haven't heard anything about it coming to theaters or anything. I didn't even know that was out yet. But apparently she's in that. Um, the Death of... Okay, she's in The Death of Stalin. That's good. That's good get for her. A Perfect Day. Uh, the Water Diviner. The November Man. I'm not... I don't know any of these movies. Um, Seven Psychopaths. That was a good one, I remember. Uh, there Be Dragons. Uh, the Assassin Next Door. Of, um, Centurion. Max Payne. So, yeah... She's a, she's a, I think she, yeah, she started off as a model and that's what, that's kind of what got her the gig for uh, James Bond and Hitman and whatnot, but she hasn't really been able to, like, she's apparently doing more foreign language films. Uh, She's in a French film called The Emperor of Paris. Uh, I'm not going to try and, I'm not going to butcher the French uh, pronunciation of that, but she seems to be doing more foreign language films uh, so far. Wait, something called The Room. Okay, some apparently she's starring in some hor- uh, sci-fi mystery movie called The Room. <laughs> For a second there, I thought oh, they're not doing that again, are they? Uh, but yeah, she doesn't. And then fifteen minutes, the guerre, fifteen minutes of war. Once again, more French language films. She seems to be doing more French films, and even in this, she reminded me a bit of Mila Kunis. Like I could easily see her going into a co- comedy route as sort of. You know, sort of, it's sort of like a straight woman's a la Mila Kunitz. But if, unless she's given real, real roles to play, apparently she's playing Hedy Lamar in some movie about Hedy Lamar. Uh, and American composer George Antiel, the bad boy of something or another, where she and Stanley Tucci are going to be in a, in a, in a, in a, as, as Hedy Lamar. No, Stanley Tucci is something. Louis B. Mayer, the head of uh, MGM. So, yeah, apparently she's going to be playing Hedy Lamar. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but, yeah, I she hasn't really been able to uh, kind of spring into the mainstream as an actress. I, I think it's just a matter of her agents probably give her roles where she gets to be hot and not really develop as a character maybe she's good in death of stalin and it seems like she's getting better roles now maybe she's doing better in french cinema than in, in american cinema but yeah it here she's just the generic bond girl like whereas rosamund i think rosamund pike was the best love interest in all of these movies the other two were basically just hot chicks with accents and sadly this is like a return to form for her this is exactly she's been stunt cast because apparently they remember her in quantum of solace a decade ago so yeah maybe she can trans uh transition into comedy i could see that but i don't i don't i don't know what to do i haven't seen any of their other works besides the, you know the besides knowing that she was in quantum of solace and uh hitman so I don't know if she's got other stuff planned. It seems like it. I mean, she's playing Hedy Lamar in a future movie, so she seems to be doing better. But yeah, that was a that big. She seemed to be a rising star in the mid in the going into the aughts, and then just completely just derailed. So it seems to be it seems to be doing better for her. But at any rate, this is this is this is the lowest point I've seen Rowan Atkinson. He is just. It, it's it's like when you're seeing it's like when an athlete comes out of retirement to try and to try and after they 
were so big back in the day, and then they come back, and it's like, oh, no, you should have just stayed, just stayed retired. Like, Atkinson can do better stuff than this, and sadly, he's, I guess he has a, a kinship for the role, like, he likes the role, but the movies aren't good, so he's off just doing better other things. Like, he'd be better off doing, like, live theater or you know, writing some new comedy himself or something. I don't know. Maybe go into directing. I don't know. It's just the writing isn't there for this movie. Like, even here, this is, this one is just as bad as the first movie. And it, and it's complete 180 from any of the progress they were making with the last movie. And I just, it, it almost feels like they wanted to end. So they did, the, so they just phoned in a movie so they could, Hold so that Universal could, I guess, hold on to the rights. I, I don't know. It's it's really bad. And whatever kind of themes they were going with, the idea that Rowan Atkinson is an aging relic who can't who doesn't use modern technology, but that that's a, he's the perfect foil for the tech super genius that he has to fight in. It's so stupid and lazy. And so yeah, whatever good steps were born took were all thrown out, and it's just once again. Each 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 movie reminds us that this is not a good movie. You can do better, and the fact is, and that's kind of the takeaway. I've that all three movies gave me the same takeaway. I could be watching something better. That, yeah, this, I've watched spy com like Austin Powers isn't even the best spy comedy, but at least it's enjoyable. Like this stuff is weak sauce, almost like family comedies and even like Asian Cody Banks was more watchable than these jeez come on guys you can do better so yeah that hopefully we don't have to revisit the franchise cuz I'm good I'm good on Johnny English I did not need him in my life and after this episode I'm going to completely forget he even exists did we just start a war no but we might have still been the one That's a warship. Brace for impact! Speaking of movies that remind us that we can do better, did you want to see The Hunt for Red October but not as good? That's essentially what Hunter Killer is. It is... I have no idea if the book is the same way, but the movie is pretty much... Hey, what if we did Tom Clancy, but didn't put in all the stuff about Tom Clancy that worked? Because this is basically The Hunt for Red October, except it has no idea why The Hunt for Red October was a good movie. It is just the laziest attempt at trying to do a submarine thriller that it not only that it's it's laughably bad effects work too because i mean the stuff the gunfights and the fighting scenes are fine but when they cut away to the submarine it looks straight out of a ps3 launch title it is some of the cheapest looking cgi i've seen in a while it's not it is so bad that a major motion picture had that level of effects work to work with even in like that's the thing district movies like district nine and monsters and things like that prove that you don't need a high budget to do good cgi 
you just need to know what the hell you're doing. And this movie did not know what the hell it was doing. So, yeah. And then, of course, base level writing. It's, uh-oh, the Russians are, there's a there's turmoil in the in the Russian government. And the, and the Americans, are, Americans notice what's going on. They must, interfe- must intercede to prevent World War III. And blah, 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 blah. It's, it's basically an excuse to showcase military exercises because it's just like tanks and submarines. It's like those sequences in a Godzilla movie where the army is lining up to shoot Godzilla. It's just that. It's just military exercises to being showcased. It's almost like, at one point I swear, it's almost like a direct cutaway to B-roll of, a, of, a, of tanks rolling around. It's, it's pretty bad. It's bad stuff. And of course... This movie essentially solidified that Gerard Butler is the poor man's Liam Neeson. Because that's exactly how I picture him. Like, in a, I could picture Liam Neeson doing a submarine movie a la The Hunt for Red October. I think he could do well in a movie like that. Maybe he did. I don't know. I'm not familiar with his entire filmography. He may have. But Gerard Butler is not a good actor. He, I don't... Like, after three, the only thing I can think of where he's memorable, even, is 300. After that, it's it's all been phoning it in, it seems like, because he doesn't have the chops to carry a movie. And especially lately, he's just been doing cheap B-movies. Like, not even B-movies. B-movies can be fun, at least. These are, like, C-movies that he's in. Things like Geostorm. And, oh, God, what was the one before this? Um... But yeah, stuff that it basically means that he's slumming it. Uh, I think after nobody took him seriously, Machine Gun Preacher, he gave up. Den of Thieves was the other one. Uh, something called Keepers. The hell was Keepers? Inspired by the Flannan Isle Mystery. Small relief boat. Okay, I'm not familiar with that one. Um, I can't speak to whether or not it's even good. That seems to be a Scottish movie. But yeah, Den of Thieves was the one I'm, I was thinking of. Geostorm, London Has Fallen, Gods of Egypt. So, like, the only, the last good thing he was in was in How to Train Your Dragon 2. That's literally the last good movie he was in. Because after, because, I mean, that, before that was Coriolanus. I don't even know if Coriolanus was any good. I just know that it's hard to screw up Shakespeare. So maybe it was good, but... His stuff all seen. Angel has... Oh, God. He's, they're doing another... Of course they're doing another one. Naya, Naya Legend of the Golden Dolphin. No idea. Den of Thieves, too. Apparently that did well enough. He really is just phoning it in. He doesn't do good movies anymore. And I don't know if that's just because he's given up and said, I just need work. I don't care. If he's gone like the Nicolas Cage route of just, I need work, who cares? But yeah, he is not a good actor. He has yet to showcase why he should carry a movie because he has yet to prove that he can do a good job carrying a movie. And then aside from him, you've got Common, who's also phoning it in, but they shaved off his goatee for some reason, so he looks really weird. Common looks really weird without his goatee. Linda Cardellini is barely in the movie. Gary Oldman seems to be almost like, uh, side villain, you think, but it, that that goes nowhere. He's just kind of there to over overact. It's, and this is going back. This is almost going back to his days in like Lost in Space and and Quest for Camelot. It's 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 bad all around. And then of course the the fact that these people can't handle 
how to do Russian characters. Like, that's the thing. I, I, I swear I've brought this up before because another movie screwed this up too. If you're going to have foreign characters, foreign language characters, just have them speak in their language. Throw, maybe throw in some subtitles. That'll be fine. So the weak, so that English-speaking audiences can understand. But they're, unless they're going to speak in English, like the last time, the only time I've ever seen a, a foreign lang, foreign languages work where they started speaking English so that we could understand was Thirteenth Warrior. That's the only time I've ever seen that sort of thing work because because it made sense the way they did it. Here it's just. Sometimes they speak in English, and then sometimes they're speaking Russian. Who knows? Who cares? And, of course, the actors playing the Russians are so, so bad. It's it, it, This really is the pits. And I, this is, ba- like, really, just hunt the, watch Das Boot, watch The Hunt for Red October, watch, what was it, Ket U571. There, there's so many better submarine dramas and thrillers out there. Don't watch crap like this. You can once again, you can do better. Just go and watch the things that are better and leave this crap in the dollar bin where it belongs. I wanna know why. I wanna know why you somehow have it in you to show up for those men when you refuse to do it for your own wife and kids. Those men need me. I need you. laid their snares. And along the path, they have set traps to catch me. You are my strong deliverer. Yep. You shield my head in the day of battle. Yep. Amen? Amen. I don't like to make it seem like I I'm picking on people who are followers of Christ, or any religion for that matter. Yes, I am an atheist, and yes, I'm very skeptical of any sort of media that is made by and for people of a, of any faith, just because I'm like, I, I'm, I, unless it's made by, you know, a group of people, and things like, I've mentioned this before, movies like Doubt, Philomena, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think, like, I still need to see, like, Last Temptation of Christ. That one seems like a really good movie that deals with faith and the sto- and bi- biblical... Sto- Prince of Egypt is still a, a phenomenal spectacle of a movie. And it's just that this, this these kinds of movies aren't very good. And I don't... And if you like them, that's fine. It's just you can't be mad at me when I, when I criticize the movie... When the whole point of this podcast is to criticize movies. Like, I brought this up before. Uh, some guy on uh, Stardust tried to get in, get get get, get me into an argument uh, over not liking Christian movies. And why do you have to talk about them? Be- because that's what I do. I review new releases. And you don't, I don't, I'm not asking you to agree with me, but don't be mad at me for having an opinion, man. Like... It's okay for me not to like this movie. It's not it's not even about liberal bias or my own agenda. It's just that I like good movies and these movies decidedly like here's the thing. 
I mentioned this in my actual Stardust review for this one, Indivisible. Uh, rap critic broke it down perfectly. He, you know, he's a, and he, of course, he is, he mentions that he is a Christian, a uh, practicing Christian, and yet he was always of the mindset that quality should trump, trumps, you know, everything else. Like, he's critical of the idea that Christian paraphernalia has to be, should, should be made out of, ex, you know, extravagant materials that are basically used to uh, uh, swindle believers out of their money. It's like, ooh, look at this shiny thing. Like, he brings up the idea, you know, he brought, he brought up the idea that crosses are made out of gold and gemstones. Like, that's kind of missing the point, isn't it, dude? So, I mean, he's he himself is critical of, of, the, of the parts of his uh, faith and his, uh, you know, the, the organizations uh, therein. And, like, he brought this up with uh, his first Christian rapper review. I forget what it was. It was some Eminem light guy. Um, it was... Uh, uh, whatever the episode was, he brought, broke it down perfectly. Christian media seems to be made by people who have the answer to everything. And the problem is, if you have the answer to everything, that doesn't make for compelling storytelling. Like, if the answer to everything is Jesus, well then congratulations, you have no real drama. Real drama comes from the notion that you have to strive to find real meaning and find the answers and you're never going to and sometimes there are no real answers but if you've already predetermined the answer then what's the point like that's the whole thing with this i have no idea about the actual uh captain uh turner he may be a perfectly decent human being i'm sure he is i'm sure he's a really nice guy it's just that this movie isn't very interesting this movie is a complete bore and I think that the problem is, if his movie was made by actual filmmakers trying to really bring his story to life, that may have worked. Instead, he got the people from Pure Flix to make it, and they couldn't make a good movie if they tried. And they try. They definitely try. But at the same time, this is complete and utter pandering. This movie opens like it's an army commercial, complete with little kids reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. And it is such, you know, like, patting themselves on the back for supporting our troops. And they make it seem like it's a big deal that there's a, you know, service-wide shortage of chaplains. As though that's the worst thing ever, because men aren't believing in God enough in the military. You know, God forbid you actually you would be a real problem and I bring the, and I bring this up in my notes all the time when it comes to this. How about how about you have more therapists? How about you have more counselors? Like a chaplain should you shouldn't be relying on on chaplains alone to do these kinds of things because that's literally what they're like you don't need a chaplain to do counseling and therapy. Just get therapists and counselors. Oh my God! That what a difference! Like the chaplain could do, do still do his services. He can still, you know, like that's the thing. In my co in my college, I went to a private Methodist uh, institution. They weren't actively Methodist. They, they're not. They were not uh, predominantly Methodist. Like the Methodist Church didn't dictate what we taught, as far as I knew. I and mean, it was just affiliated with the Methodist uh, uh, Church. And our chaplain number one, was trained in, like, pretty much to do services in literally any religion. 
Like she uh, uh, she was she really is one of the nicest women, and uh, she was this um, Texas Texas lady that ended up at Mountain Union, and she she's trained in like every sect of Christianity. I think she was able to do like Jewish services as well. Like she was able to do whatever service was needed of her, and she was just a nice lady. She always provided a space for people who to to who needed a spiritual sanctu- uh, sanctuary. And she, that's kind of what, that's kind of what I expect of Chaplin. That's what I imagine when I, when I hear Chaplin. It's somebody that provides spiritual, uh, guidance and whatnot. But they aren't there for therapy, counseling, mental work. Like, she's not the one giving people, like, medical or, uh, psychiatric advice. Meanwhile, in this movie, like, the chaplains seem to be doing more therapy than actual, like, like, religious work. Like, why, if you just, if you need therapists, just, is it cheaper to hire a chaplain? Like, is that the deal? Because you have to pay therapists more? Because if they're just going to do therapy, just just get a professional therapist. Like, that's not, that's, that, like, that's what I don't get about that. Like, and that's the other thing, too. God's Not Dead and all of the Pure Flix movies, for, despite the fact that they are Christians, they have no idea how to write sermons and present charismatic pastor, the, the apostle. Not the new one on Netflix, the, uh, old one with, I think, like, Robert Duvall or, or somebody, but, um, or, who was it, Jack Nicholson? Who was in The Apostle? Uh, some movie from the, I believe, right around the turn of the 80s into the 90s. 90s, oh, no, it was 97. Uh, but yeah, Robert Duvall uh, directed it, too. I'll have to check that out. Uh, after his happy life spins out of control, preacher from Texas changes his name, goes to Louisiana, starts preaching on the radio. See, that's another one where I probably would get into it. And I hear great things about it, too. But they made, Robert Duvall knew how to write a preacher. In that movie, he knows how to present a, a man of God who is able to deliver these speeches. He, uh, a, a preacher is essentially an orator, from you know when he's when he's in uh, in service. Like I bring this up every so often when this comes up. Um, the the uh, pastor at my family's church is a is a soft spoken but very intelligent man. Was, who's able to weave in, you know, pop culture and even, like, you know, current events into his sermons and his homilies without any issue. He is, all, he is such a character. He's able, he was able to bring in, he was able to bring in more people into his congregation than ever before. Because people just like hearing him talk. He is a smart man who knows how to deliver speeches in a way that reaches to, reaches people. And I have no qualms with him because he is, number one, a good person, as far as I can tell. No skeleton in the closet have come out yet, if there, are, if there even are any. And number two, he's able to reach people where they need it. You know, he's able to provide a service that helps people, as far as I can tell. At least, like, you know, outside of the norm. Like, he's not providing medical treatment. Trying to trying to provide himself with, you know, saying, oh, I provi- you don't need to go to a therapist. You just come to me, you know, confess. No, he's like... Look, I'm here for you if you need me. He's like, you know, he's kind of just like there for people. So I don't have a problem with that. It's, but at the same time, like the dude knows how to write a speech and deliver it. Like the dude's a public speaker. 
And yet, nobody at PureFlix has any idea how to, one, write that, two, direct it, and, like, seriously, one, write it, two, direct it. It shouldn't be... I could write a better preacher character just because I know what makes a compelling preacher and what makes a compelling character. Like... This shouldn't be that hard. Just write somebody who's good at public... And that's the other thing, too. Cast somebody who's a good public speaker who... Like, that's what killed me about that uh, Louis Zamperini Zamperini, uh, 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 movie that they did. Pure Flix... Not Pure Flix. Was it Pure Flix? I think it was Pure Flix. They cast a guy as Billy Graham who had no idea how to play Billy Graham. He was not qualified to be Billy Graham because... I did not like Billy Graham. I, I am diametrically opposite to, to, to Billy Graham in my beliefs and in my and what I perceive as good character. Because from what I can tell, Billy Graham is kind of a terrible human being in terms of what he preached and what you know what his intentions were uh, with his with his sermons. But the man knew how to draw in a crowd, and the guy that got to play him was such a dullard. Like, Billy Graham, the man who kind of skyrocketed the evangelical movement in the United States. And you got some some nobody who couldn't even bother to try and be as compelling as Billy Graham. Literally just find somebody who can do the bombast and the, and, and the, and the, and the passion and the power and his voice. I don't like Billy Graham, but I recognize what what people saw in him. He had a powerful way of speaking. It drew them in. That how is it how is it that hard? You guys, this is supposed to be your thing. How is it how is it that you are screwing this up all of the time? These for supposed Christians, these people have no idea what makes good preachers cuz none of their preachers have been good preachers. I've met good preachers. I've heard good speeches made by preachers. These people have no idea how to do good preaching. Like, get an actual priest to write it if you need to. Get an actual preacher to write the things for your preacher character if you have to. Give them a writing credit. Who cares? Because you obviously have no idea what you're doing. <sighs> yeah, it's... It, this. These movies always... Always kind of bug me because... People are just going, people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to the people who are already there because Rap Critic brought this up too. The fact that these people are already, they're already there and this is already what they believe. So the fact that they're being told what exactly what they believe, it doesn't matter if it's good or not because, hey, I'm just get, I'm just in my echo chamber. I get to hear what I, what I like. Who cares? Like, I don't mean to sound disrespectful of the man's life, because I'm not talking about the actual guy here. I'm talking about the lame actor who looks like uh, James Marston's dopey brother. Like, if this guy looks like he would totally be the Stephen Baldwin to James Marston's Alec Baldwin. And it, it, it really, it doesn't, he can't. Like he's trying, but it's the the best they can do is cheap melodrama. They can't do compelling drama because the actors they cast are are bad. I mean, the best actor they could get for these movie for this movie was freaking Tia Maori, 
who's only there because she's also full-on evangelical. Like, that's the best that they could do. And then, of course, you've got the writing. The writing is so... This movie is two hours long. It is the longest movie I saw this week in theaters. And it did not deserve that runtime. It had no... That... No, um... I think Hunter Killer was longer. They're both... They bo- Both of those movies did not warrant a two-hour runtime. Because it was so padded and drawn out. It had no business being that long. And that's the thing. Apparently the guy did go through a, a bout with PTSD after coming back from his tur- from his tour and he and he would and he had a crisis of faith. But it's so poorly done, I could not care. Like I don't care if he goes back to God. Who cares? Like this guy probably this guy's bringing up actual points that people bring up the Christians all the time and then by then they just kind of hand wave it. Like, eh, yeah, nah, nah, don't worry about those thoughts. That's just the devil. That's just that's just the darkness trying to take you away from the light. Okay, you're just going to ignore those things that real people actually wrestle with and just say, "No, if you just believe hard enough, those thoughts aren't important." <sighs> These movies, I'm sorry, these movies are not good. This movie wants to try and tackle heavy subjects, and it sucks at them. It doesn't understand how, you know, the real, like, it's trying to tackle PTSD and the loss of life during war and the tragedy. And meanwhile, it's a cheap melodrama. Thank you for your service. It's not a great movie. But at least it gets the subject matter and ta- tries to tackle it with some tact and some quality. This movie could not bother to try and be good. Because it doesn't matter. Because it's a pure flicks movie. People are going to bust in their church congregations to see it anyway. So who cares if it's good? Uh, really, just... I, I, I didn't really talk about this movie at all. I just complained around the movie. But I don't have anything to say. Like... It's a it's an army it's a it's an army commercial. It's basically a recruitment ad, and then it's it it tackle it try it addresses the a lot of the issues people have with Christianity and with belief with the belief system, and it just hand waves all of those answers away. Just be, it just says believe hard enough, and that's fine. Like doesn't like doesn't matter those th- those thoughts don't matter. That's the evil and the darkness, and you should believe in God even harder and. Uh, it, honestly, the big, the most, the biggest thing it proves is that you don't need chaplains; you need therapists. Like you should have therapists on the front line to help deal with people. I think that would be way better than you know giving people magic cookies and pretend and then acting as a therapist when they're clearly not qualified to be a real therapist. But once again, that's this movie. I can't speak to the actual man. Apparently, he, he may be a good, decent human being, or could just, or could be trash like Billy Graham. For all I know, I have no idea. I don't know the actual guy. I honestly don't care to know him because this movie didn't present a man worth knowing, and I blame that sp- strictly on Pure Flix because they have no idea how to do real drama. It's basically the same crap in every movie, just to placate to their audience. It's pandering to the nth degree. And it has no business being in theaters. It should be strictly shown to church congregations. Like, screw the theater system. Just just charge people to directly to show it on Sunday mornings. That's all you need. You don't need to show it in theaters. Because you don't belong there with the real movies. 
You just don't. That's why we ride a piece of wood. What that does to somebody's spirit. So cool. Yo, Stevie is saying. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. In any other week, this would not be my pick of the week. But with the slim pickings we had this week, it this is the best that we've got. And I think that's kind of <laughs> I think that's kind of the sad state of things that the best thing we've got to come out this week is Jonah Hill's tribute to in the indie boom uh, movies of the 90s, things like Clerks and um, uh, Reservoir Dogs and a lot, God, any countless number of those kinds of movies that are kind of done cheaply and try to kind of uh, promote these sort of realistic takes on things. It, there's so many, uh, like the one that reminded me specifically of was Clerks. Um, but I, I don't care. About the genre. That's like that's the thing. This is the best movie to come out this week. I don't. I don't care about it though. Like this is not like I'm sure people who are into that style will will love it. But I, I, I just I just can't build up enough emotion to even say anything. Like I I think this is this isn't as bad as. Um, when First Man came out, and I had to be like, uh, take my critical eye for the first time and, you know, deal with the fact that, that I have no real passion for the movie and that there's no real emotion. Like, this isn't that bad. I had some... I definitely felt for the characters more than I did in First Man, but I just don't care about the genre i think it's i think we've moved past it i think we can do better i think that's the problem the same problem uh with that halloween had last week in that in trying to do a throwback they also included all of the stuff that was bad about those movies and that we've got and that we've shown that we can do better and this time around it's by recreating the 90s like the 90s language was really bad there's a lot of uh fag and faggot and gay it's a lot of homophobic language and i didn't need i didn't need that i mean that, that that i'm sure that was accurate for the time period but i'd rather not that i don't want to hear that kind of stuff anymore i've kind of grown i've kind of grown past it like the fact that you're nostalgic for using homophobic language feels really bad and i don't think that was his intention i think his intention was clearly to recreate what that time period was like and that time period was very homophobic and I just don't, like, I think, we, I once again, I think it's the fact that we can do better. We don't need to recreate white trash in, L.A. white trash in the 90s. Like, that, like, we, we've, you know, we've shown that we can, you know, we can tell other stories. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, this, it, this definitely feels like, uh, there's, there's some, uh, SRS Punk, some skater movie, like like this is definitely is tied into a lot of stuff, a lot of these sort, those sorts of really low budget independent movies from the era, and 
it's not it recreates that well, and especially the fact that it does goes with a four point three aspect ratio instead of the sixteen point nine widescreen that has become standard for film. I think by going that old school, it definitely feels like you're watching it on an old VHS tape, which is a nice touch. Like court, at first I was like, I don't know if I like this, but then as I thought about it, I'm like. No, that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. Of course, that's how you do it. Like you're you're making a '90s movie, make it in the style of the '90s. Like, yeah, duh, that's perfect. But the but what like even for his directorial debut, I feel like Jonah Hill can do better. Like this is, and of course, the fact this doesn't help that I've seen like four, maybe five coming of age movies from A24 within the last two years. I'm kind of kind of tired of that of that specific story being told from them like he's really you're gonna oh, I, it feels like the laziest thing you can do as a first-time writer director it's like i'm gonna talk about when i was a kid and then like present it like it's the most like that's why i didn't like ladybird like age of 17 i was cool with because it was it didn't take itself too seriously ladybird took itself so seriously and whatever point it was trying to make I, I I couldn't care less. I could care less about because your sto- your life story wasn't that compelling. You're some white. You're some spoiled white chick from Sacramento. Like, what is compelling about your life story? Whereas compare that to f- things like Moonlight or Dear even Dear Simon. Love Simon, not Dear Simon. Love Simon, where it's like here's a story that we don't hear about. Like, why do we care about what some spoiled white kid? growing up in, like, the 90s and aughts in California did with their life. Like, oh, no, you hated your parents. Ooh, it's like, that's why I'm not, like, I initially had some, I'll give you, um, like, a a reveal into um, some of my uh, creative endeavors back in the day. After college, see, there's an event in college that led to my advisor and the professor who kind of convinced me to go to my um, college, uh, he had to resign in sort of, uh, in sort of, what's the term? Like, it was like in the middle of the summer, we heard, we, we got emails that he had to resign. And and it's, let's just, let's call it what it is. It's a Me Too thing. It was predating the Me Too movement, but it specifically rose out of that, it's the thing. The administration learned what he was doing and they finally fired him. Uh, after like it was rumored, it was rumored going going back years that he was doing the kind of the, doing some heinous stuff with his students, and it just ended up being, uh, you know, and it, it ended up breaking me one night in, uh, in when I found out just because I had to deal with the fact that this guy I admired and I looked up to and it was an inspiration to me. Turns out he was kind of a dirtbag, and it was kind of and I was kind of leading into that, and in. And in part, and in, and that kind of inspired me to want to write a story where essentially the same thing happened to me, but it was from my perspective. The idea that here's this kid who gets inspired by a, by a professor at a college, get, joins the joins that specific professor's um, uh, department, wants to study under him, and essentially becomes like a protege. Then while he's at college, a, a, a girl uh, joins the freshman class. And while the main character uh, tries to date her and ask her on, you know, get to know her better, uh, turns out the professor is kind of grooming her, so to speak, and taking advantage of her. And that's, I mean, 
I won't say, I'll say this. It wasn't, I'm kind of playing up my own role in it, obviously, because it was nowhere near that. It's just, I liked the girl. I asked her out. She, she kind of ghosted me, essentially. She never, she would lead me on a bit, but never so much that, like, I feel like she was just being nice. I don't think, I mean, I'd have to ask, I think one of my, I think my friends were pointing out that she was definitely not interested and that she kind of led me on a bit, but I don't blame her for that. I mean, like, there's this guy who's like, who's like a puppy at your feet and you're like, what are you supposed to do with that? So... I don't, you know. Once again, this is she was she's the main, she was the main victim of all this, and I think what it came down to is, within the past year, that idea has since morphed into instead of it being instead of there being two characters, I decided that you didn't need the guy's perspective because it doesn't matter that he liked the girl and that the professor was grooming her and grooming her when he but and try to make some sort of love triangle out of it like i eventually just realized that that sort of storyline is unnecessary and it would be much more interesting and much more important to make the main character the girl in all this that's more important and i think that's the whole thing is that people will write from their own perspective and like here's what it was like for me growing up but your life wasn't that interesting and we don't need to hear about another white suburbanite growing up and growing up and being like, "I hate you, Dad. You're not. Yo, know, I wish I could just go off and do my own thing, man. You don't support me." And it's like, "I hate my life." And it's just, yeah, this kid's life kind of sucks because he's living in poverty in L.A. and his only friends are a bunch of skater punks. But that's not the best, most compelling movie. Like, I I don't care about these kids. Like, yeah, they're they're just a bunch of punk-ass kids. Who cares? Like, that's the whole thing, is that Jonah Hill's trying to present this whole thing of, like, here's, you know, here's life growing up in the 90s in L.A. If you're, like, in, you know, if you're, like, in the ghetto in, the, in Los Angeles. Not the real ghetto in Los Angeles, but, like, you're living in poverty in Los Angeles and you're kind of just, you know, and, and your best friends are a bunch of skater punks. Maybe this was his life, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. I don't know in person. I don't know his history, but it, it just... It's just not that compelling. I, I'm, I'm kind of done with coming of... Unless your coming-of-age story is about, you know, being LGBT, come from the point of view of a minority, trying to deal with... Like, The Hate You Give is, an, is a coming-of-age story in the age of, um, you know, the Black, Live Ma- Black Lives Matter movement. It's not about a real person, but it's still a coming-of-age story in the year of Black Lives Matter and standing again, you know, and in sort of these new sort of civil rights movement where people are standing uh, against um, the oppression from the police and from, you know, the system itself. And that's a way more compelling storyline than some theater, ch- some snobby theater chick from Sacramento gets over herself. That's that. Like, I'm not saying lady, you don't have. I'm saying I'm not saying you should hate Lady Bird. I'm just saying that's my takeaway from it. It's some some asshole theater chick thinks she's so much better than everyone around her and, and says she's just an asshole. Like, I don't care that. She, like, the, the the whole point of the movie is this this asshole learns to stop being an asshole. Okay, like, is that all you got? I I I I don't I don't know I don't get the appeal of Lady Bird over something like Edge of Seventeen. Like, Edge of Seventeen was about interesting characters, and it was similar stuff, so to speak, but at least the the girl in Edge of Seventeen was a way more interesting character than Lady Bird was. Like, Lady Bird, I don't, I never got the appeal of her character. 
I don't get it. I just do not understand why that character was so compelling. When she's all I saw was just an asshole, period. And here, yeah, everyone's an asshole, and these are unlikable dicks, and they they use a lot of homophobic language. And Jonah Hill was a white guy who wrote black characters just so he could use the N word. Like I'm, so, I'm sorry, I, I can't get that out of my head because I know this is a movie. My meta knowledge prevents me from the fact that oh, I, I don't. I hope he didn't include it, and he just told the kids to improvise, and these two black kids used the N word just naturally. Because I hope for hope to God, if we pull up the script for mid '90s, Jonah Hill, yo, doughy, yo, white dude, Jonah Hill. Isn't going around like he's Tarantino writing black characters just so he could drop the end bomb a whole bunch. Because if that's the case, come on, dude. Are we really doing this still? Is that where we're at now where white people are so, so like, no, we you don't understand. We have to be authentic to the black experience. And it's like, dude, dude, you could write around it. You don't need to include that word. Who cares about that? Why do you care about using that word so much? Because it's in the rap music? Because it's used colloquially? Why don't you just let them use it themselves? Why don't you have them write the movie and have them use the language that, they, that they're familiar with? You don't need to try and co-opt their language to be authentic. That just makes you, that just automatically comes off to me like you want to you wanna say the N-word. And the only way you could get around that was by writing black characters. Because that's all I got from this. That's all I could think about was that Jonah Hill thinks he can be pull a Tarantino and write en- and write a bunch of end bombs in the script, and as long as he's got black characters to say it, it's cool. You know, he's not going full Tarantino where he's making the white characters say it because it's authentic. Black uh, white people, white people, you don't need the N word. If you're obsessing about using the N word, there's something wrong with you. You can hang around with black friends, you know, ingratiate, you can, you know, you know, kind of be, ingratiate yourself with the community here. There's here, there, you know, members of that community speak and consume their media and all of that. And you never have to use the N word. You don't need to use that word. Why do you, why do you feel the need to bring it up? Like, it's so it's so bizarre that that's just a thing. That just just a thing that because you're you're familiar enough with black culture that the it's like um that song Freaky Friday that came out a, a couple months ago where little Dickie's biggest thing about being Chris Brown was that he gets to use the N word. Yeah, yeah, isn't that great that because I'm black I get to use the N word? Isn't being black great because you get to use that word and it's not okay to use if you're not black? It's the douchiest thing and I, I genuinely don't get the appeal. I have never, in all of my life, and especially now that I've consumed a lot more uh, black cinema as of late because of the, 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 the cornucopia of just wonderful black cinema coming to theaters now. I have never once felt compelled, felt the need to bring, even listening to hip hop, some guy brings up the N word. Oh no, he brought up the N word. How am I supposed to say? How can I sing along to the song if I can't say that word? 
bite me. You, why do you care? Oh my God. You know what? You know what's easy to do? I think I've done this before in karaoke where I've sung like a ludicrous song or something and the N word comes up. You know what I do? I say nothing. I literally say nothing. And I'm not saying that for like brownie points because that's not a thing that should be congratulated. That should be the default. Your default should be never say that word. Don't worry about that word. It's not your word anymore. You should, in fact, I mean, you could argue whether or not even uh, black culture should should continue to embrace that word. That's not your argument to make. That's no, but that's nobody's argument to make. But that community, let them, let them, you know, um, let them do what let, what they what they feel is right and best for them. You have no business saying that word. Stop trying to find loopholes to say the N word. What is wrong with you people? I got off on a real tangent here, but at the same time, like, I have nothing to say about this movie. It's a, it's a fine throwback movie, and, like, the actors aren't bad in it, but... Like, if the, the whole point of having a diverse cast and having black characters was so you could use the N-word, what's the point? So, I, maybe, he's, maybe he's said something to try and, you know, answer that, answer that thing, but... I, I, I'm good, man. I don't need white boys trying to co- trying to sound like they're down with black culture so that they could use the N word. Like, we can. We, I thought we were over this, guys. It's twenty, goddamn eighteen. Can't we just be over this? You don't need to use that word. You're good without ever. There's so many words in the English language that we've abandoned just because they have no bearing on our society anymore. Why can't you let that be one of them? Like, you can let bl- the black community and black people say whatever they feel is, 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 you know, is right for them. Have them, have them say the word if they, if they so choose. That is, you, you, you could just wipe that word from white vernacular. Period. End of story. And we would be way better off for it. Quit trying to find ways to use that word. It is so... It is so unsettling for... It's at the least unsettling, at the most very concerning to the fact that you really wish you could use that word. Because either it's the cool thing or it ties into this sort of idea that why can't I say it? It's some sort of idea that you're being forbidden to say the thing. Why do you care? How about you don't need to say the word because you don't need the word. Why do you need the word? Why is that word so goddamn important that you just have to say it? You just need to say it. it this, it's the compulsion to say a word that you have no business saying. <sighs> anyway, um, sorry about the tangent. It's just mid-90s is a boring movie. And... As much as people are probably going to praise it, and it's, I'm sure it's going to get some buzz coming coming to the coming uh, into the award season, we've got better movies out there. Like this is a cool throwback. Sure, if you're into that sort of style, go for it. We can do better. Once again, this this week is all about. Hey, how about we do better? Like I would I would love if the baseline for cinema was good. And then everything, and it ranged from good to amazing. Because we could, that's the whole point, is that we could always do better. So yeah. 
Uh, well, I've rambled on long enough. How about we get into the, some, the reason for the season? Yeah, let's talk about some spoops and horrors and ghouls and goblins. It's time for this year's Halloween spooptacular after this break. Want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films? Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the Gummy Cat Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane you will find a kind of truth more terrifying? John Bailey presents The Popcorn Junkies Halloween Spooktacular. Listener, beware, you're in for some scares. good to bring back that bumper i forget what happened last uh i think it was halloween specials or something like that or halloween something or another maybe it was something maybe it was a uh, uh, super mega awesome something or another uh, at any rate it feels good to talk about horror again like ooh, it's that time of year it's the most wonderful time of the year and it like there where's that cover where's that song where's that parody where it's instead of about christmas it's about halloween which is the best time of the year you get your spooks on and you get your candy and you get all kinds of weird we get to enjoy the weird and the supernatural and the and the unexplained all for us a whole month long. It's just perfect timing for it. And it feels good to return to this uh, special because I've got some spooky movies to talk to you about. Uh, the format for this, uh, for those who aren't for for those who are new to the show, is I review uh two I review four movies. Two that I've seen before that I've rewatched in order to see how they hold up, and two that are, I'm seeing for the first time. Uh, two old and two of those that I'm seeing, and the two that I'm and of the four, two of those are also older releases before 2000, and two of them are after 2000, so that they're older and newer. So I'm kind of showcasing the wide spectrum of horror and how it's and you know how it's held, how some movies have held up have they held up and how some how are the newer movies are they any good do they hold up 
uh, to any scrutiny upon rewatch. And so, and then of course I ended all with a special. Uh, for the first one, it was the Charlie Brown uh, Halloween special, and this time around I'm going to do something to tie into our Christmas episode, uh, which I'll get into uh, in a bit. So, um, for this year, uh, our picks are going to be for the old first watch, Hell 1987's Hellraiser. For the rewatch, in honor of its 40th anniversary, and after seeing the the new sequel that just came out, 1978's uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, for the new re- for the new first watch, it's going to be also tying into Halloween. It's going to be 2007's Rob Zombie's Halloween. And then for the for the for the new rewatch, it's going to be my, one of my favorites, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Not a pure horror movie, but definitely very in line with horror, with the horror genre. So let's start off with our old, our oldies. Uh, for the first watch, Hell, 1987's Hellraiser. Um, I'm familiar with the concept. I remember Pinhead. I know that it's all about sort of um, gory sadomasochism and that sort of, you know, the, oh, we have such sights to show you. And that sort of, that sort of like, otherworldliness and it's on netflix it's currently on netflix as of this recording and um having rewatched it having watched it for the first time being that i'm just about as old as the movie this movie's 31 years old this year um it's pretty dated uh stylistically uh it's pure 80s like hair gel and uh shoulder pads and all everything about the style of this movie is pure 80s that part doesn't hold up what does hold up actually is the practical effects the practical effects work i will say is on par with john carpenter's the thing i have no idea if they're the same guy um but the practical effects work in hellraiser holds up after 30 years perfectly and it's just a show, a great showcase that practical effects, when they're done well, are amazing. And here, most of the effects work is almost, almost too realistic. Like that's the thing. Torture porn didn't really come into being as a genre until Saw and Hostel in the mid two thousands. But let's give props to where they started. The first real torture porn movie is Hellraiser. Because this movie is all about torture porn. This is literally torture porn in that you're seeking pleasure through extreme pain. And the Cenobites are all about sort of pleasuring themselves by means of bodily harm. And the extremes of body mutilation in in order to seek pleasure through pain. It's it's an interesting concept. You know, tackling the idea of sadomasochism. I mean, it's an obvious sort of um, hyperbolic form of sadomasochism. But the, but once again, that, that notion that, you know, you find your, like the whole idea that pleasure and pain are both caused by, you know, ner- you know, nerve it, the nervous system, the, the ner- you know, reactions to similar things. Like it just depends, you know, so the lines can be blurred based on your experiences. And so the idea that here's a guy, we start off with a guy who gets, surreptitiously like brought in brought in you know in, in, enticed seduced by the idea that he could explore his his darkest desires through the supernatural means and he essentially brings over like uh 
paradimensional, otherworldly beings. Uh, they don't specifically say de- demons, angels, whatever the case. They are simply other supernatural entities who only exist to, you know, explore their kink. Essentially, this is just they're, they're just getting their kink on, man. And there's no kink shaming on this ep- on this podcast. I'll tell you that much. And it's almost Lovecraftian in a way. It's not full on Lovecraftian because the main thing about Lovecraft is that number one, he is a horrible bigot, but number two, in his in his writing, the monster is un unfathomable, unfathomable, and. The, the idea that you can't co- even the very idea of trying to comprehend this otherworldly be- presence drives you insane. That's where love. That's kind of the and Lovecraft has served as inspiration for countless, uh, countless horror uh, writers and creators afterwards. So this isn't true Lovecraft, but it's definitely you know in the same pool. It's definitely taking some. Hints at the other the idea that there are these otherworldly beings who exist to bring pain uh, under the guise of it providing pleasure as well. It's definitely very. It's you can definitely see the elements there. So and and it showed that Clive Barker is capable of of bringing his own works to life. Uh, that he was just as capable as a filmmaker as he was as a writer, which is interesting because I don't think he's ever really recreated that very well, uh, from what I remember. But, you know what? Uh, upon first watch, I think Hellraiser is a solid horror movie. I can see why it became such such an iconic franchise. Number one, the design work is just gorgeous. It's just beautiful, disgusting majesty in these all of these sorts of twisted visions of humanity being rendered just asunder by these deep demonic entities. And of course, the Cenobites themselves—the fact that you've got these sorts, these sorts of body modification, you know, body modification to the extreme—it's such a such a wonderful vision to behold. And yeah, I think it still holds up. I have no idea if the sequels are any good. Uh, I know that they they keep trying to keep it alive, and they may reboot it at some point, a la you know, Texas Chainsaw, Hot Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Halloween. I could see a Hellraiser reboot. Uh, I think given uh, our current effects, maybe updating the storyline a bit so that it's not so 80s. Because, I mean, the, the basics are all there. Uh, updating the style, at least. Because the storyline is still the same. Like, you, you, it's almost um, it's almost got a little... It's almost like a little little shop uh, in it. Because it, you've got the idea that here's this monster that you're feeding dead people to in order to... Uh, make it stronger and the in this case it's this character frank and his lover who is his uh sister-in-law uh essentially and it's her bringing hapless men in order to satiate her uh ex-lover's uh bloodlust and need to uh regain his 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 self his 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 corporealness and so it's it's a de- it's definitely it's definitely worth watching. I mean, you've got to have the stomach for it for sure. But I think it holds up fairly well. Actually, I can see why it's held in such high regard. Um, upon uh, and for the rewatch, Halloween. Uh, I saw a bit of it on TV uh, around the around the time that the new movie came out, and rewatching it now, yeah, 
still classic. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, despite, you know, this is this is a time when Jamie Lee Curtis couldn't get top billing. And it's crazy to think that now she is the Donald Pleasance of this franchise, where she gets the top billing. And, yeah, I mean, the, the, the iconic opening, the whole thing of, it's all from the inside of the mask. It's almost a single long take. Um, a lot of long shots. A lot of uh, long takes in this, in this first movie. And they definitely try to recreate that in the new one. Um, iconic score. Uh, that's the other thing you think about, too. The slasher genre, this kicked it off. This is essentially what kicked off the slasher genre of horror. I mean, there were always hints at slashers, things like Psycho and, you know, probably other uh, various entities like that. But it took Halloween to really popularize it. And yet, slashers were always kind of part and parcel of horror storytelling. Like... You think of all the different urban legends, you know, the Hulk on the the Hulk on the door handle and the deranged maniac who escaped the mental asylum. This is literally like taken straight from those sorts of urban legends that kids used to tell in the 50s and it works perfectly. It, it's a, such a great recapturing of those old, of those kinds of stories. And upon rewatch, yeah, it's per, 90 minutes in out done perfect like i can't imagine a better more iconic horror movie especially for this time of year you you can't beat a classic like halloween and john carpenter that was his heyday that was when he was on top of his game and he really showcased his his ability to present these horrific elements in a way that was compelling and thrilling and and tight and just all around you know and entertaining so it, it was like it doesn't need to be gory, it doesn't need to be visceral like Hellraiser is, but it, it's able to get the sort of terror of this is this unstoppable force coming after you perfectly, and you can see why so many people uh, essentially ripped off Halloween and built up this whole slasher genre that's still being done today, like outside of Halloween, like there's still people who who push on this sort of idea, and we're going to talk about one of those uh, after. The new new first watch, which is Rob Zombie's Halloween. I did not like this movie. I did, I don't know how many. I remember getting some praise back back when it started. I know Spill, the guys over at Spill, kind of talked it up. I think it's a bad movie. I think it's a all. I think it's one of Rob Zombie's. I know Halloween Two is even worse, which is. Whew, I may have to do sequels for next, um, next, <laughs> uh, actually that might not be a bad idea. Sequels, uh, you know, do first movies and then follow it up with sequels. <laughs> um, but this, yeah, this movie is one of his worst, I think. Cause I mean, he's like capable of doing re- like, he obviously is capable. Like that's how he got the job was devil's rejects and house of a thousand corpses. He's able to do sort of horrific exploitation. And especially dealing with sort of, sort of um, white trash uh, aesthetic. And yet, he completely bungled uh, Halloween and Michael Myers. Um, for one thing, he spends half the movie explaining Michael Myers' origins. And like, once again, you tie back into the Patton Oswalt bit where he goes back in time and talks to George Lucas and all he, and, and, uh, you want some ice cream? Well, here's a nice big bag of rock salt. You see, when you mix the rock salt with, with ice and cream and milk and, and, and different flavors, and then that's how you get your ice cream. 
We don't need to know the complete origin. Like, unless it's something like a superhero character we've never heard of, we don't need the full origin story. John Carpenter nailed it in, like, ten minutes. He, he, we learned that Michael Myers killed his sister, and he was put in the mental asylum. He was deemed unstable and put in the mental asylum. That's it. In, out, done. We didn't need this overdrawn, like, oh, his white trash mom is a stripper, and his sister's a whore, and, her, and his stepdad's abusive, and he's bullied at school by the kid from Spy Kids, by the boy from Spy Kids, Daryl Sabara. I uh, saw him in here. That was weird. And then, like, so much of this movie was unnecessary. Like, it gets racist, and then there's a rape scene, and... The the kids are... The Laurie Strode in this movie is completely unlikable, whereas Jamie Lee Curtis was such a compelling and likable protagonist. She was... She kind of set the staple for the... For the survivor girl. For the... You know, for the one who makes it to the... The one who makes it to the end. And she... Like, she's... She's not chaste, but she's at least a nice person. You care if she lives or dies. This Laurie is kind of a... He's kind of a dick. She's kind of an asshole. Like, why do I care if she lives or dies? She's a pain in the ass. And she's a jerk. Um, not to mention the fact that all the acting is bad. Uh, everybody's terrible at acting in this movie. Uh, Michael, uh, uh, Malcolm McDonald. Malcolm McDonald? No. Um, yeah, I think it's who it... There's... Um, there's so many McDonald's. Michael McDonald, Malcolm McDowell, Malcolm McDonald. I think is like an '80s uh, yacht rocker. Um, Malcolm McDowell is kind of just, just like hamming it up. Uh, Sherry Moon Zombie is not a good actress, and it's every time. The only time she's ever worked was as Baby in uh, Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. Otherwise, any time Rob Zombie tries to put her in a movie, she sucks. She's not good. And of course, of course, just cram in his '70s rock playlist on shuffle. Uh, the only thing that worked about this movie is the kills; they're perfectly serviceable. Uh, but yeah, then of course, the fact that the ending is like they they they, do, they try to do the ending where they kill Michael off like three times, like he's freaking Peter Jackson all of a sudden, and he's trying to do the Return of the King ending. Dude, just end the damn movie. In, out, done. John Carpenter did this in 90 minutes. Why are you drawing this out for so long? You're not you're not Kubrick. Chill. You're remaking Halloween. So, yeah. Uh, 2007's Halloween is a garbage movie. And, it was, and he, Rob Zombie sucked at trying to recreate John Carpenter. He's best left to his own devices, making his own properties. He does not need to try and tackle somebody else's. He's not good at it. And then, of course, the, the new rewatch is Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Not much to say. Um, it's more of a uh, slasher parody than anything else. It's a subversion of the trope that the killer of the killer hillbillies. Where here, uh, the hillbillies are just like really nice guys, and they're kind of they're kind of dorky, and they only come off as imposing because you know the, the stereotype that hillbillies are murderers and. This on the, on rewatch, I did notice some weird things. Like there's this hillbilly prejudice, where like you're actually half hillbilly is like a big twist in it, and the, it, they try to treat like hillbilly as a race. You know, it's like turns out you're actually half black. No, I can't be. Yeah, it's it's not, it's it's a it's a pretty bad. That part that part is pretty bad. 
But I think they're they're trying to be bad because they're trying to play up the sort of stupidness of a lot of those B movie B slasher movies. And Tyler Labine and Adam Alan Tudyk are iconic. They are wonderful. I regret. I I, I don't regret. I, I I I don't think that we need a sequel, a spiritual successor. Bring back Tyler Labine and Alan Tudyk as the main characters, but don't make them Tucker and Dale. Make them, I don't know, paranormal investigators and they're doing a haunted house. Or make them, you know, some new characters other than Tucker and Dale. Because we don't necessarily need a sequel to Tucker and Dale, but more like Tucker and Dale would be amazing. And yeah, Tyler Labine is like the lovable, dopey hillbilly who falls in love with a college girl. And it's all and and it's after she gets past the initial sort of uh, prejudice of like, oh my god, this guy's gonna kill me. It's like, oh no, y- you don't like pancakes. I'll come back. I'll bring you something else. <laughs> I love that scene. It's just like there's such a perfect subversion of that trope of like the hillbilly. You know, I, I find a gotch now, gir- girl. You got a purdy mouth. It's more like, oh no. You don't like pancakes. Of course that's what it is. Uh, I'll come back with something else. I hope you like eggs and bacon. <laughs> it's like Alan Tudyk's always telling me, like, man, you gotta stand up for yourself. And it's like, there's just these two really nice guys. It's just they happen to be, you know, they happen to be rednecks and hillbillies, you know? They're just, just the nicest guys. And I love that. And the whole thing of, like, the dopey college kids who are who think, who are, who think they're in a horror movie and that to save their friend when it's just like, no, you're just you're just prejudiced against these guys. You think that they're killers because you watch Deliverance, and that's kind of become iconic for that for that subculture. And then, of course, the main villain of the piece is Chad, who is I love the fact that he's got an inhaler, so he's asthmat. He's this asthmatic villain. <laughs> it's it's so wonderfully made. And it's, it's, it, once again, it's got a little, a couple of slip ups because it's, because of the genre and there's some genre tropes it has to include, I guess. But for what it's worth, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is perfect for, especially for horror fans. It's got great gore on top of everything and it's just, it's, it's a perfect subversion of the genre. It worked great and I highly recommend it to anybody who likes horror. Now here's the thing. For this special, um, for this year's special, I decided to do a compare and contrast. We're going to tie into the Christmas episode and my Christmas holiday showcase, whatever, with a movie that does, that covers both holidays. Now, if you haven't already guessed, we're talking Tim Burton's uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas. It was technically Henry Selleck's The Nightmare Before Christmas, but Tim Burton was able to sell the movie. And he was a producer, so... Um, yeah, I was for this episode, we're going to be looking at Nightmare Before Christmas as a Halloween movie. And then for the Christmas episode, we'll be discussing Nightmare Before Christmas as a Christmas movie and see how it holds up for both genres. So, for Halloween... This is, I mean, the movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. It takes place in Halloween Town. And it's it's actively really, it, I mean, it actually it holds up as a Halloween movie. It's pretty damn good. Uh, the, the design work for the monsters is perfectly um, off. Like, Tim Burton's drawing style works great. The goth aesthetic works great for Halloween. And... 
so much of the monster design work from the from the residents of Halloween Town to Jack Skellington himself to the toys that they make, uh, thinking they can do Christmas. It's all wonderfully twisted, and it definitely fits in that aspect of the Halloween movie. And of course, the fact that it's definitely like the villain is the Boogeyman, literally Oogie Boogie, the Boogeyman, and the whole fact that he's a, a sack of bugs. Uh, he's like a sentient sack filled with bugs and he tortures Santa Claus and I think he, the only problem is that Boogie Boogie's a bit underdeveloped as a villain but the songs are de- are super spooky it's got the it's definitely got the um, you know it, it kind of does it's kind of a precursor to what Krampus would do um in, by, in 2013 it, it you know provides a sort of horrific vision of Christmas and it, I think, in that aspect, it works really great. The Halloween as the Halloween side of Nightmare Before Christmas holds up. Definitely works as a Halloween movie. So that was this year's Halloween spooktacular. I hope you enjoyed. I enjoyed the show, boils and ghouls. I'm not gonna turn into the Crypt Keeper. Sorry, that was just that's my last one. So um, let's let's get into the back end of the of the segments with uh, the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Not much of a shakeup here at the box office. Uh, actually, two of the premieres this weekend didn't even crack the top ten. Like, t- like rounding up the top ten was mid nineties, jumping up from twenty to ten with its uh, expansion into wider theaters. So. Like Johnny English premiered at a million, one point six million. Johnny English barely made more than Indivisible did, and Indivisible was in like twice as many theaters. Oh god, this that's terrible. So I'm assuming Johnny English cost as much as the other Johnny English movies. Probably not much more. Um, let's take a look at two. That was the last one. So, Johnny English Reborn cost $45 million to make, made $160 million at the box office. Meanwhile, uh, I'm guessing it probably made about, it cost that much to make $30 million. Let's we'll lowball it at $30 million. It only made back, it only made $1 million this whole weekend. $1.6 million. Meanwhile, Indivisible probably cost like $10 million to make, and it only made back one. It's fine. It'll probably last long as more church groups go to see it in theaters. But, yeah, that's 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 rough, man. Sorry to hear that. Not to the... Sorry, you're, you're long past your prime. You shouldn't have brought you out of t- retirement. Going into the top seven proper, um, we lost one from last week. Smallfoot's out of the top seven. Uh, first Man is dropping down from five to seven, uh, bringing in $4.9 million dollars. This weekend, bringing its domestic total up to thirty-seven point eight, and its global total up to seventy-four million dollars, seventy-four point four million dollars. Not a it managed to, so it made back its budget. It's not a total flop, but it's definitely underperforming. People are not that it, it it's holding on for now, just because there's nothing else. But it, I think people over I think the studio overestimated people's interest in seeing this movie, and I'm kind of glad. That people take or felt the same way I did, where it's like, eh, we didn't really need this. You're not really doing much. You're not really 
adding much by having this here. So staying at number six is The Hate You Give, which brought in $5.1 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to 18.3 and a little, with a little extra on top from the foreign markets. It's $19.6 million after two weeks. And sadly, that's still underperforming. I hope this doesn't become a total flop. I'm hoping that it, it uh, holds holds out through the rest of the year because I'd hate for this to be considered a flop because it's one of the best movies of the year and people need to go see this seriously. I know it's rough subject ma- matter, but y'all need to go see this movie. Go support this movie. It deserves it. And uh, premiering at number five is Hunter Killer, the highest, perform- highest uh, performing of the new releases with... $6.6 million, uh, and then no foreign markets to add it. So it opened at $6.6 million. and let's take a look if the Wikipedia page uh, lists its budget because Box Office Mojo decided not to. Let's take a look. Budget of $40 million! That's quite the bomb. Oh, that's beautiful. That is a wonderful... That's wonderful news to hear. I love it. I love that this bomb... This 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 bombed so hard. This is qual... This is perfect for if I ever um, try to bring back Epic Fail. Because, yeah, that's quite an epic failure. Ha! <laughs> uh... Anyway, the, the rest of the top four have stayed the same. Goosebumps 2 stayed at number four with $7.5 million this weekend, bringing its domestic total up to 38.3 and um, um, uh, kind of a little uh, a little less than doubling it uh, with the foreign markets by bringing its uh, total gross worldwide up to $62.5 million. Halloween did this movie some good. It stuck through. And it made back its money... Uh, it's pretty much in the black for right now uh, in terms of its bu- budget. $35 million, double that. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty much made back its money. So we can expect probably another goosebumps down the line. Uh, staying at number three is Venom, which brought in $10.8 million. And yeah, this is a runaway success. Total gross now is $508 million. Half a billion dollars people gave to this movie. And I don't understand why. I, is it just, is it, are they really supporting a so bad it's good movie? I can't imagine they genuinely enjoy it just because it's it's such a bad movie. Uh, at any rate, uh, staying in number two, A Star is Born, brought in $14 million, making its domestic gross $148.7 and a worldwide gross of $253 million. Congratulations, you guys. That's, 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 um, how much is that? Uh, Let's see, 30 into 25, 250, um, seven, eight, almost, eight, yeah, a little over eight times the budget. Probably less, probably more like seven times the budget because it's 36 million. So yeah, that's a that's a wonderful return on investment. And I think it's probably the highest performing of the four A Star Is Born. Let me see. Do they have the Star Is Born franchise? Fault in Our Stars Is Born? What the hell? Huh. Apparently they paired it up with the Fault in Our Stars for some reason. Box Office Mojo's weird like that. Anyway, number one again, Halloween 2018. Uh, dropped down by over half uh, from last week, but it's still number one. Uh, $32 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $126.6 million, and its worldwide gross up to $172 million on a $10 million budget. Blumhouse does it again. It, it just rakes in the money. And I generally consider... 
I would generally consider them to be the forerunners of the horror of the of of the of like the slash Avengers because I think they could totally handle it. Like they're able to work within their budget and present actively good horror movies for the most part. Like even if they aren't well made horror movies, they're entertaining. So if they take, I, I would except for the fact that uh, LeBron James is producing uh, the Friday the Thirteenth remake. I would be happy if more studios brought uh, their horror monsters to Blumhouse because I think they can handle it. So that was this week's box office report. Uh, not much has changed, but we'll see if that we'll see if uh, we see some new ripples uh, with the new releases this coming weekend. Coming this summer. It's trailer talk. Rated R starts Friday. We've actually got a full slate next weekend because we've got uh, the two, the three major releases, which are the the Queen uh, biopic uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, Disney's Nutcracker movie, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms, uh, the Tyler Perry movie Nobody's Fool, and then uh, Suspiria opens wide next weekend. So first up, the big one for next weekend, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Let's take a look at that final trailer. What are you afraid of? You can't get anywhere pretending to be someone you're not. Huh. You regret it. No one will play queen. Yeah. Mm. I didn't know his fancy dress for it. You look like an angry lizard. Got to make an impression, darling. Huh. So, tell me, what makes Queen any different from all of the other wannabe rock stars I meet? Tell you what it is, Mr. Reed. We're four misfits who don't belong together. They're playing for other misfits. Yeah, Rami Malek is 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 nailing uh, Freddie Mercury. They don't belong either. We belong to them. On November second. So now the family name's not good enough for you. Changed it legally. No looking back. We want to do something Hmm. different. It's yeah, it's crazy to think that Freddie Mercury was, uh, was, was, uh, well, I think he's, what, no. not Indian, Pakistani? Some, something like that. He's, uh, Southern Asian descent, I believe. Freddie, could you tell us about the rumors concerning your sexuality? Queen, how long can that last? You don't make decisions for the band. Your life is going to be very difficult. My family... We believe in each other. That's everything. Fearless. Lives. We're going to do great things. Forever. It's an experience. Love. Tragedy. Joy. Something that people will feel belongs to them. that queen logo too um i did i have been hearing some rumblings that apparently it's people you know it, it falls into the same formula that walk hard parodied so 
we'll see. Um, that's definitely going to be the big release for next weekend because even if it does, it is formulaic. I think people are going to care more about seeing uh, Rami Malek uh, playing Queen, playing up, uh, playing Queen, playing Freddie Mercury, and just hearing the backstory of uh, Queen that they may not have heard before. So we'll see how it turns out. I hope it's, I, I just hope it's good. That's all I hope for. Uh, next one, Disney's. Uh, release for this year since they couldn't get Mulan done on time. We're taking a look at Disney's The Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Uh, a smattering of applause. Eh, eh. Merry Christmas, Clara. Godfather. Your gift this year would be something. Who's the chick playing Clara? I feel like I've seen her before. Mackenzie Foy. I'm to see what she what else she's been. Troubled realms. Within our world. Oh, great. Now, so apparently we're dealing with like para, uh, dimensional, tra extra dimensional travel. Hold the key to their secrets. Oh, what is this? You aren't Lord of the Rings. Knock it off. Remember, Clara, nothing is as it seems. You already tried uh, C.S. Uh, Lewis. You're in the Four Realms, Princess Clara. Princess? At your service, Your Majesty. Maybe I have been spending too much time in the attic. Disney presents. Welcome to our world. The land of snowflakes. The land of flowers. And the land of sweets. Is that even from the ballet? Fourth realm. This is where our troubles began. Mother Ginger started this war. Don't you know it's dangerous here? Who is that? Cape Blanchett? I hope you'll be the one to finish it. It's time to save the kingdom. It's just the laws of physics. Do those laws always work? As far as I know. Ready. Go. On November 2nd. The legend you know... Oh my god, it's a direct Fantasia reference. Oh jeez. Has a dark side. You're the only one who can stop her. I've been expecting you. Oh, great. They got mecha. They got mechs. They've got carousel mechs. Oof. Oof. This was a bet. Kira Knightley, Mackenzie Foy, Helen Mirren. That's who it is. Uh, yeah, um. You, you've really, uh, overestimated yourself there, Disney. If that's, if that's what you're going for, because. Oof. Oof. Yeah, um. That's that's really bad. That's this is trying to make freaking Nutcracker super serious when literally no adaptations of the Nutcracker have done all that well. I don't think people care about the Nutcracker, and they haven't done anything to really make us care about the story at all. And this seems like it's going a full Alice in Wonderland direction. I don't see it succeeding. I can't imagine it being that good, and I don't imagine even if it's not good that people are going to care much about it. Uh, I don't even hear people talking about it. I don't even think people know what's coming out, so we'll see. Uh, next up, Tyler Perry's Nobody's Fool. Him and the Tyler Perry Tiffany Haddish movie that we didn't know we didn't want. We'll see. I, I like the last trailer. Let's take a look at the new one. That's the other one. Who's um? Who's the? Who's her sister? Tiffany Haddish is the main star, but who's the? 
It's your sister. Her sister's actress is pretty big too. What time? What time, honey? It's jail. I love the idea of Whoopi Goldberg being like a a, a massive pot farmer. <laughs> Seems to be the same trailer. Maybe, maybe think maybe. Okay, this must not be the new trailer that came out. Too good to be true. If the man looks too good to be true, he is. You're being catfish. It's been a while since we had a movie deal with catfishing. So the dude ain't real? No, the dude ain't real. He could be anybody. We need to go and find this son of a bitch who catfished. Nobody plays her sister. And we gonna tear his ass up. This should be Tiffany Haddish. Tika Sumter, that's who it is. Girl, I got his address. We gonna do this tonight. We're going to need a saw, some plastic, burner phone. i got to go to the bathroom. That's good. You need to go ahead and let all the liquids out because you don't want to leave no DNA. You're not helping. Every time you try to kill a man, you're going to squirt a little bit. <laughs> I love her so much. I really hope that we don't get sick of Tiffany Haddish because she seems to be so um, wonderful. It's Tanya. Oh, no. Tanya no here. Mama, I know it's you. This connection is so rickety. <laughs> what? Mama, you in the window. I'm sorry, what? You know, it's been a while since I've been excited about Whoopi Goldberg in a movie, but damn if she isn't looking great in it. Not not physically looking great, but being hilarious. Like this, she seemed, this is a great reminder that, oh yeah, Whoopi Goldberg used to be really funny in movies. And she was a great stand-up. So I mean like if she if she's if she, if, if this can kind of revitalize her as a comedian in movies I'm down with that because I'd rather her that than her continually be a talk show, uh, you know, a boring talk show host. So yeah, we'll see about that one. This may be a Tyler Perry movie I actively enjoy. It trailers look good, but hey, you know what? This could easily go full on temptation on us and just go like everybody got AIDS and whatnot. <laughs> anyway, last one expanding wide is the remake of Suspiria by Amazon Studios of all people. So let's take a look at that trailer. It's definitely more muted. I know Jalo is, mu- is is kind of like day, almost has like day glow sort of colors to it. This is definitely a more muted take. Hmm. K. Berlin. When you dance the dance of another, you make yourself in the image of its creator. From Luca Guadagino, Tilda Swinton, great choice.
Nice costume work too. Oof. Three muzzles, three gods, three devil. Muzzle tenebrarum, muzzle lacrimarum, and muzzle suspiriorum. Darkness, tears, and sighs. Huh. Ooh. You're making some kind of deal with them. Interesting. Is Dakota Johnson the redhead or is that a new girl? I know she's in this. Dakota and uh, Chloe Grace Moretz are both in this, I know. But I think they're both supporting roles. Dakota? Okay, no, that is Dakota Johnson. Ooh. This is actually managing to ca capture a lot of that original... From what I can tell, it'll be interesting to compare the two. Tom York, Tom York is going to do the music. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, um, I gotta say, uh, like whoever the director is knows how to recreate the sort of you know imagination that uh, um, Argent Dario Argento had in his Giallo films, and this seems to do. It seems to be a little more grounded, but it's definitely not afraid to go into the more fantastical like the original and from one and of course great cast uh tilda swinton dakota johnson is is quickly um uh un, you know kind of undoing the damage that 50 shades has done between bad times and this and chloe grace moretz i'm interested to see her uh in another sort of horror themed movie uh, it looks good it definitely looks really good luca guadagnino uh guadagnino uh, G N I N O. Um, yeah, it's it's a solid cast, and I and I haven't heard bad things, so we'll see. Hopefully, it opens in my area. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, that about does it for this week, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep updated on all the new episodes as they come out, you can whitelist us on your ad blocker and make sure to favorite the page. And while you're at the website, you can check out all of the other fine podcasts that we're on. You heard um, Donna over at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods and the various other snark cats casts uh we've got a brand new uh living in the sacks coming out the, uh, the week of this episode uh where we're covering the hunger games and it's we, and we've got all kinds of great shows lined up for you and my mike is mike has uh the new episode of season two of maji day ready for us where we talk about the docu the amazon series documental and we had a great time meeting back up and talking about Japanese media. We I love that show so much. So if you want to check out season two of Monty Day, you can do so on Gumby Cat as well. And if you yourself are a podcaster and you would like to join our network, uh, you can send all inquiries to GumbyCatNetworks at gmail.com. And you know, we'll get back to you and we'll see if you're a nice fit. Um, but if you want to you know, listen to us on the go, you can do so through our various podcast providers, uh, Apple, I, uh, Google Play, uh, run Spotify, Spe uh, Spreaker, Stitcher. Uh, the only places I know we're not on are SoundCloud and Podbean. And I might try to in include Podbean as part of the Patreon thing, uh, 
if see if people would prefer it there. But uh, I'll, I'll work on that when I have some more time. Um, yeah, so if you want to subscribe to us through those uh, services, you can do so. And then leave a five-star rating and review to let people know that you like the show. They should check it out, too. You can also let uh, other people know through various social media. Uh, the social media home for Popcorn Junkie is Facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. That's where all the major announcements are going to be. Uh, you can also um, follow me on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, where I do um, along Twitter munch-alongs, um, retweet some of my favorite uh, filmmakers and uh, creators, and also do trailer talks before a new release. So if you want to keep in touch with me there, you can do so uh, Twitter at, on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, where I'm not as active, but I definitely post when I'm uh, seeing a new release and when new episodes come out. You can also follow me on Stardust. Uh, Stardust uh, is a great sort of vine for movie reviewers. You can review, you can react to movies, TV shows, trailers, and let people know that what you're into and what you're not into. You can follow me. You can follow the guys at Double Toasted. You can follow um, the Schmosno, and of course the king of of Stardust himself, Epic Voice Guy, the Internet's other John Bailey, is the king of Stardust. I have crowned him as thus. I have yet to see another creator on there who who has a master of the platform as he is. I highly recommend him too. So join us in Stardust and let and you can share your own reactions or just follow the reactions of of others and see what you see what people are saying about the various stuff coming out. So you can do so make sure yeah, we're available uh, Stardust is available through uh Apple, Google Play, uh whatever your app provider is. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun over on Stardust. And of course, as I mentioned, Patreon as well. I'm hoping to I would really like to bring back the Patreon segment and do Patreon um uh, requests and extra shows and whatnot. So if you want to help the show out and get and and be rewarded by helping br- provide content for the show, you can do so by donating as little as a dollar per month at Patreon.com, and you can request uh, shows for make a better movie and uh, much and much alongs and even stuff for me to review on this show. So if you want to help out the show that way, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash popcornjunkie, donate as little as $1 a month, and you can help provide content for the show yourself. And you'll be thanked at the end of every episode, all the reward tiers, all the reward information, there are no tiers, are available out there. And if there's anything else you want to say, you want to, you know, provide some feedback on something this episode, you want to provide your own reactions to the movies this weekend, rebuttals, um, corrections. If I've made a mistake and you and I need to correct it, uh, let me know. Uh, any kind of follow-up, like maybe maybe there was a Liam Neeson sub- submarine movie that I missed, or if there's something else that I mentioned that um, that you have some information on and you want to share that, uh, I would love I would love to include an audience feedback segment and and include your voices as well. So if, yeah, whatever that is, send that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. Include in the message that you want to be included, that you want the message read on the air as is, and include your name if you wish. Otherwise, I can just leave you anonymous. Um, I would much rather have that in writing so that we, so that I know that you're good with me saying your name if you want that included. Otherwise, if you would rather just ha- leave it all anonymous, that would be fine. And then, of course, if nothing else, I'll uh, get back to you uh, privately. So... That about does it for that about does it for this episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I hope you have a very spooktacular Halloween. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this.
The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Speaking of movies where you're the Bryson Taylor. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Keep Awesome. Cut this out.